Good morning, church. I get to read the Bible reading live this morning, <laughs> not into my computer. All right, well, the reading this morning comes from Luke 18, 9 to 14. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Amen. Morning, everyone. Thanks, Lynette. We're continuing in our series of uh, stories to the Lord Jesus told in the Gospel of Luke and we come this morning as you've just heard to a very interesting parable that <clears throat> interestingly a lot of commentators a lot of people th uh, get it wrong they think it's a parable about prayer it's not about prayer he's just told a parable about prayer to his disciples uh, we preached on Ch Pastor Charlie preached on weeks ago Luke 18 1 to 8 this is a parable where the Lord Jesus actually speaks to another group and he tells us what that group is in verse 9. To some who were confident of the, in their own righteousness, that they were right with God by themselves and they looked down on others, Jesus told this parable. So the parable is directed towards people who feel that they are righteous enough, the self-righteous. And in this story that Jesus tells, he picks a Pharisee. It's not that all of the Pharisees were like this, but just using them as an example, it's broader in its scope. It's to all people who think that they are right with God without the Lord Jesus. So that's where we're going this morning, and I'm going to invite you to bow with me in prayer. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, it is a privilege for us to be able to gather. It's not church as we're used to it. It's church in a new season. And it's different. So, Lord, help us to adjust to the difference. Thank you for those who are gathered here, but thank you also for those who are gathered by tuning in and watching online. You're with us, Lord. Speak to all of us, I pray, by your Spirit. Um, challenge us, change us. Help us to hear, Lord, this message this morning um, and help us to align our lives accordingly. For Jesus' sake, we pray in his name. And everybody said... In ancient Israel, there were, like our society, many denominations, many different groups of people. So I thought I'd just talk about that very quickly this morning. You could describe them in terms of their relationship to the Romans who had invaded and were occupying the land of Israel. There were those on the extreme right who were very pro the Roman government and very pro in favour of working with them and supporting them. They were called the Herodians, after King Herod. 
They were very supportive politically as well as financially in every other way. Next to them, there would have been a group of people um, called the Sadducees. The Sadducees were primarily priests and they had a long history, but they were more interested in working in favour with rather than opposing the authorities, the Roman authorities. Then on the other extreme over here, you have a group of people called the Zealots. They're like the terrorists. They wanted to undermine and kill Roman soldiers and they wanted to set Israel free. Next to them was another group called the Essenes. They permeated the land. There are a, a group of people who are opposed to Roman occupation but their methodology was really to withdraw, to isolate themselves, not to associate with Rome or Gentile ways or foreign ways in any way. They tried to be pure in their religious beliefs and practices and they tried not to associate with them. And in the middle of these four groups, there are the Pharisees. They were the largest group. They came out of that period of time after Malachi had prophesied and when the Greeks invaded and when the Romans then invaded, then the Pharisees were very devout, very focused, submissive to those who were in authority over them, though they didn't like them, but they were more committed, we would call them conservative Bible-believing Jews. They believed the Old Testament, they believed uh, in spirits and in demons, they believed in the resurrection from the dead, they believed all the things we believe. They believed correctly. And they were very moral, they were very devout, they were very strict. Um, they tend to focus more on the rituals of there be of religion than they did of the heart attitude. And so they became also quite judgmental. Not all Pharisees were bad, but many of them were. And we are familiar with them, of course, because of their reactions and responses to the Lord Jesus. And so they come off in a bad light against him. But if you were living back in the first century, you would have been impressed by these very moral, very upright, um, usually good people. Some of those folk were in the audience. And Jesus could tell by the way that they were looking at others and by the way they were responding to him through this journey to Jerusalem that he wanted to challenge them. That's an interesting point, isn't it? Better put these up so you can follow exactly what I was saying. That's what I've called it, the sinner's prayer. Everybody calls it, you know, the, the parable of the... Um, the Pharisee and the tax collector or the Pharisee and the publican. Or, but it's really the sinner's prayer. It, this story contains the closest thing to a sinner's prayer in the New Testament. So to some who were confident of their own righteousness, and what's often associated with that is that they also then become judgmental of others. I'm making the effort and I'm doing good, why aren't you? So they tend to look down on others. They become proud as well as judgmental. Well, to those people... Jesus told this parable, didn't ignore them. Jesus spoke to them and in fact is challenging them, not to confront them, but to correct them, to bring them correction into their life so that they can be rightly aligned with God and his purposes for us. That's why Jesus came, to bring all sorts of people. And a common mistake at the end of this story is to pray and say, God, I thank you that we're not like the Pharisee. As soon as you pray that or say that, you are just like him because you're comparing yourself to somebody else, judging them and elevating yourself, which is exactly what they're doing. So here is the Lord Jesus speaking to this um, people who thought they could be right with God. Many people in Australia think exactly that. 
Did you get the bulletin? Is everybody getting the bulletin? If you don't get the bulletin, uh, and uh, send, the email, send an email to admin at SDBC and they'll send it to you electronically. Okay? In the bulletin this week, I wrote an article particularly in line with this of some of my experience. A survey was done of 7,000 Protestants. They're Americans, so of course it doesn't affect us at all. <clears throat> the question was, um, the way to be accepted by God is to sincerely live a good life. Hands up. Nobody in the room. I can't see at home. 60% agreed. That's disturbing, isn't it? Over half. This is Protestants. Second question, God is satisfied if a person lives the best life they can. Agreed? 70% agreed. None in the room. The main emphasis in the Bible is on God's rules for right living. More than half agreed. Somewhere along the line, the message is not getting out there. And as I say in the bulletin, um, as I've said to people on numerous occasions, if you were to die tonight and you would go and stand before God and he was to ask you one question, why should I let you into heaven? Most people would say, because I'm a good person. I've done my best. Uh, I tried to keep the Ten Commandments. I haven't murdered anybody. I should be allowed in. Most people think like that and it's faulty thinking as Jesus tells this story to that group of people. It's a very simple story. It's about two men, two very different men. Both of them go up to the temple. Both of them pray, and we read about their prayer. And then they go home. They go down to their homes with two different results. And as is often the case in the parables, Jesus finishes with a spiritual principle, which is what we really need to hear and take note of. So let's work our way through it. Can't drink properly. Good they can edit that, isn't it? <laughs> Have I turned this off? Two men went up to the temple to pray. Going to the temple to pray was a special privilege. They had public prayer in the temple both at 9 o'clock in the morning, mid-morning for them, and 3 o'clock in the afternoon, mid-afternoon. And that there were the court of the Gentiles, court of the women, court of the men, and then there was a court only the priests could go into. So these two men go up the steps, up to the temple to pray at that time. At nine o'clock in the morning, at three o'clock in the afternoon, when a lot of people would have gone, that's significant, I think. It's also an in unusual because tax collectors didn't normally go to the temple. And they didn't normally go to the temple to pray or the synagogue. They tended to stay away. They were the outcasts of society. They were the untouchables. They were the ones who were considered to be traitors and they were not popular. The reason Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 is up a tree is because if he was amongst the crowd, he would have been stood on and elbowed and punched and they were despised and hated. Not just because he was a short guy, but because he was a tax collector. Well, this tax collector goes to the temple to pray. He would be, bottom line, scum of society. Who would that be today? Well, we'd probably all come up with a different description of who we think that would be, whether it's going to be drug pushers or terrorists or, you know, pimps, people who make money off other people. Uh, them doing the work and them deriving the benefits or con artists or whatever. It's, the tax collectors were like that. They were lining their own pockets by extending the amount of tax they could suck out of people. They had to pay a percentage of it to Rome, but the rest that they got was all theirs. And they tended to make it quite extreme in what they made. 
That's contrasted with the cream of society, a Pharisee. This is one of the best. And if we're going to understand this parable correctly, then you need to reverse our thinking because we think the Pharisees are the bad people. In this story, he's the good person. He's the regular churchgoer. He's the moral, upright member of society. And he goes to pray. And if anybody, if anybody can get through to God, it's going to be the Pharisee. The tax collector, he's despised and rejected. He's got no chance of God listening to him. That's the contrast that Jesus is setting up for us. And so they go up to the temple to pray. Let's listen to what the first one says. The passage tells us that the Pharisee stood by himself. I could imagine that he's gone up the steps through the court of the Gentiles, through the court of the women, into the court of the Jewish men, and that he has wandered way at the front, where it was very common for Jewish people to stand to pray. That's not uncommon. It's very common for them to raise their hands and to look up to heaven. That's the normal Jewish posture that'll do in prayer. 1 Timothy 2.8 even says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands. It's uh, the way they used to pray. Well, this man goes to the front of the temple, stands, normal position, and he prays aloud. He's standing, so and the hands raised, so people can see the phylacteries that he's got wrapped around his arm. He's speaking and praying out loud so the people around him can be blessed by his wonderful prayer that he's about to share. And his attitude seems to be, these people around me will not have the privilege or the opportunity to stand close to someone who is so, so holy, so good at what I do in terms of my religion, that I need to instruct them through my prayer. And so he prays. He begins, well, God, thank you. That's a great way to pray. Four words in, something suddenly turns. The prayer becomes not a prayer. It's not addressed to God, though he does say it's to God. I thank you, because immediately he swaps to a different tack. He immediately goes to that I am not like other people. As soon as you start comparing yourself to other people, you're in trouble. It's revealing something is not right in your heart. And the question for you this morning, for me this morning, is do we do that? Do we compare ourselves to other people? Because if you compare yourself to other people, you're not taking note of your own heart. He was very conscious of other people's sins, but he was not conscious of his own sin. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Aren't you lucky, God, that I'm on your side? I'm not, and he's telling the truth, he's not lying. I'm not a robber, I don't steal, I'm not a crooked businessman, I don't rip people out of their money, I am not an evildoer, I'm not unjust or unfair, I treat people as nicely as I possibly can. I'm not an adulterer, I've been faithful to my wife, I'm not immoral, I'm not sexually off track. And then somehow he in his turning and eyes open, he notices this tax collector and he gets to the point, which is the low point of the prayer. Thank you, God, that I'm not even like this tax collector. And the crowd who were in the temple that day, they would have been nodding and agreeing. You're right. Exactly right. That would be terrible to be a tax collector. The scum of society. The best I can get out of this guy's prayer is that it, he's thanking God that God has preserved him from those sorts of sins in his life. That's the best way it can go. 
But everybody comments and makes the note that five times in the prayer he mentions I. That's all about him. The focus is not on God. There is no confession of sin. There is no request. He's not dependent. He's self-sufficient and independent. It's really his own eulogy to his own self-importance, isn't it? And then he goes on to rehearse um, his religious deeds that he's been doing. He says, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. When he says I fast twice a week, he's a person who goes above and beyond what is expected. He's highly disciplined. Um, Jewish people had to fast once a year, Day of Atonement. And in later centuries, they added to that, that on the annual feasts, they would also have a fast. And the Pharisees would fast two days before and two days after. You know, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Passover and so on. Um, But this guy, he doesn't fast at 12 times a year. He fasts twice a week. On Mondays and Thursdays, as it would become. And William Barclay tells us, on Mondays and on Thursdays was the market days in Jerusalem. That's when the people in the land, the farmers, would come to the city. That's when the crowds would swell. That's when the Pharisees would go on show. Remember Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, that don't be like the hypocrites who stand on street corners and they pray to be seen by men. Truly they have their reward. That's what he's doing in the temple. I fast twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. And just as an aside... There's a very early Christian document called the Didache, and in the Didache it talks about that we as Christians, we're not Jewish people, we're Christians, and so we should fast on Wednesdays and Fridays, not Mondays and Thursdays. I think they miss the point too. And then he says, I give a tenth of all I get. And if you read Matthew 23, they even tithe their herbs and spices. They tithed everything which is a great thing to do. There's nothing wrong with fasting and there's nothing wrong with tithing. The problem was he was relying on these external forms of behaviour, not his own heart attitude. This man stands and prays. No wonder the Lord Jesus says, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Contrast that. The tax collector, he also stood. But he stood at a distance. And I don't know if it's a distance from the Pharisee on the other side of the temple or if it's a distance at the back of the temple where he felt, I am unworthy and I don't really, I shouldn't enter here. I need to enter because I want to pray and I need God to forgive me. So anyway, he's standing at a distance. He's also looking down. But he's not looking down on other people. He's looking down at the ground because he's not, he's not game to stand and lift his eyes to heaven. He is so ashamed. He's so guilt-ridden. He is in agony of soul. He's come to the realisation that he is a sinner and that he has broken God's laws and he desperately needs forgiveness. He doesn't have his hands upraised. He's got his arms crossed across his chest and he's beating his chest. He cannot comfort himself. And looking down, he says seven words. The same seven words I told my dad on numerous occasions. All you have to say, dad, is, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Simple as that. 
God. He addresses God. And he's not addressing God to show off to others because he's at a distance. And I bet you he's speaking quietly, not aloud. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be literally propitious to me. He doesn't bargain with God. God, I feel so bad. Please forgive me because I feel so bad. He doesn't promise that I'll do better. He doesn't make excuses or give explanations. He doesn't promise that I'll be different if you forgive me. He doesn't do any of that. He realizes his desperate situation and he casts himself fully and humbly upon God's mercy. Comes to God, not to a priest. And he comes himself. He doesn't say, we, us, God forgive us for we have sinned. In some contexts, that's appropriate, the Lord's Prayer. But he's talking about himself. He's meeting with God personally. It's one-on-one, him and God. And that's what we need to do. To be right with God, you have to do business with God. And you can't do business... Somebody else can't do business for you. You have to do it. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's a very simple prayer. It's a very humble prayer. And he has come to the temple because... Well, because he hasn't been obedient, but he's come seeking God. The Pharisee came to the temple because he was obedient. He came because it was commanded. He came because he was performing publicly and ritually. The tax collector came, offered a sacrifice because he needed a substitute. He knew it. And that's exactly what he prays. God be, when he says merciful, it's quite literally, God make an atonement for me. And that's why the next bit where Jesus gives... um, the conclusion, the result. The two men go down, they leave the temple. But I tell you, Jesus says, here it is, draw attention to this. This man, this tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. Went home justified. His sins had been blotted out. Fully forgiven. We're very familiar with this word and with these terms and the concept. His sins are all washed away. How come? Because he asked for it. As simple as that. He didn't have to do anything. He just had to come and say, God, forgive me. I acknowledge that I have done wrong. There's nothing I can do to put it right. I can't fix it. I need you to have mercy. Cancel my debt. Well, we know that truth. Being religious, being moral, being upright won't get us into heaven. You can't be good enough to get into heaven. We all say it, but many of us don't feel it. No one is perfect. I am not. No one's perfect. We're all sinners. We're all tarred with the same brush. If, If you compare yourself to anybody else thinking you're better than them, there is a hint that you're not relying on God's grace and you're not fully aware of your own sinfulness if you would dare compare yourself to somebody else. That's like a a mirror that you can see into your own heart. But if you're aware of your own fallenness, if you're aware of your own sinfulness and brokenness, then the way you look at other people will change. God will soften your heart and you'll look at people as God looks at people, as people who need forgiveness, who need mercy. No one is perfect, no one is without sin, except one, of course, the Lord Jesus, in all of human history. And because no one is perfect, no one can get into heaven that way. Not the Dalai Lama, not the Hindus, not the Buddhists, not the Catholics, not the Anglicans, 
The Baptists have got a shot. <clears throat> not the Jehovah's Witnesses, not the Mormons, not Baptist pastors, Baptist deacons or Baptist members. And then Jesus says this, and this is, I need to hurry. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. All those who humble themselves will be exalted. What does that mean? Jesus is giving a spiritual axiom. Here is a spiritual truth. You can't say it any more simple or clearer than this. If you exalt yourself in this life, if you promote yourself, God will humble you. When? That day. When it'll be too late. But if you humble yourself in this life, then God will exalt you then on that day. That's what the Lord Jesus is saying. It's a great spiritual, simple truth. Into which category do you fit? Humbling yourself now or exalting yourself? Trying to live out a respectable righteousness of your own manufacturing, your own making or relying fully on receiving the righteousness that Jesus Christ alone can give us. I like the story of Frederick the Great, King of Prussia, who one day went and visited a prison. And in visiting the prison, he deliberately went and spoke to all of the prisoners. All of the prisoners, of course, declared endless tales of innocence and miscarriage of justice and um, justice ex um, exploited and, and so on. They were all innocent men. Finally, the king stopped at the cell of a convict who had been silent hadn't said anything and the king says Frederick says to him so I suppose you're an innocent victim too and he said no sir I'm not I am guilty and I deserve my punishment to which the king said turning to the warden warden release this rascal straight away before he uh, corrupts all of these fine innocent people who are in this prison it's remarkable that's what God does with us as soon as you acknowledge and own your guilt and your sin then he comes to you. He forgives. So what's your response? Well, what should you think differently about this? Um, as I said before, if you're thinking you're better than others, then there's a clue about what's going on for you. The Pharisee saw other people's sins. He never saw his own. Is that something you need to deal with? Are you aware of your own sin? What's going on in your heart? If you're not aware of your own sin, then simply ask God. God, show me. Search my heart. And reveal to me anything that is off track. It's a dangerous prayer, but it's a very helpful prayer and it's a very healthy prayer. We can always clean up our outward behaviour, but only God can clean the heart on the inside. When it comes to hands and habits, what do you need to do? What do you need to implement in your life? And we have to come to God personally. We need to do that on a very regular basis. My time's gone, we're going to pray. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this incredible story. A simple story but also a confronting, challenging one, that if we trust in ourselves, then we're doomed. We need to rely fully on you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the experience we have and can have of the complete forgiveness of sins, of a new heart placed within and a new outlook on life that we can be justified. Lord, the Pharisee went home pleased, but he was on the wrong track. Could you keep us and get us on the right track? And may you fill us with your spirit and help us to share this simple truth with our friends, neighbours and colleagues. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you all to stand with us as we sing our last songs. Just to praise God how good he is. Please sing. <clears throat>